I said, if you are willing to follow him in places you've never been, ready to go places you've never been before, somebody clap your hands and praise him that we are ready to follow you forward in the name that is above every name. Oh, don't, don't stop. Come on, praise him. Praise him. We praise the Lord. Move us forward in Jesus' name. Move our children forward in Jesus' name. Woo. Praise God. Forward. We're going to sing that one again later. That's a good one. Well, before you'll see, you know I'm going to ask you to do it. Turn to the person next. You smile. Say, you're still the best looking thing I've seen all day. Pastor, I didn't say kiss her. I just, say, I just said tell her. <laughs> Woo, what a great Tuesday night crowd. Oh, come on, somebody. You can clap your hands again. Amen. If you love Jesus, if you're excited about your salvation, if you believe he's still alive and well, come on, somebody praise him and clap your hands. He's the only one worthy of praise. He's the only one worthy of adoration. Come on, Church on the Rock, praise him that you are not alone. You are not alone. Wow. Hey, thank you for coming to church and making God a priority in your life. I believe because you have honored God and honored his house that he will pour out his favor onto you and your work will be so much better and your school week will be so much better because you place God at the highest priority and you honored God. Amen? Come on now, amen? Get your Bible and open it up, turn it on and turn to Psalms 34 and 1. Thank you, son. Boy, this kid's good. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. I want to speak to you on the power of worship that brings God's presence. The power of worship that brings God's presence. I'm about to answer many questions that some of you who are older than I wonder why we get so emotional or why we do what we do. Because the power of worship brings God's presence. It brings God's presence. Matthew 21, excuse me, Psalm 34 and 1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Everybody say all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And delivered me from all of my fears. Hear it again. Because there is a spirit of fear that is tormenting our nation. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from all of my fears. Friends, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. But let me show you how powerful a statement that really is. Friends, there are ten chapters in the Bible that relate to the life of Abraham. Abraham was the one that had the covenant with God. He is pivotal in what happened in the nation of Israel and really what happened prophetically in Israel. And yet there are only 11, 10 chapters in the Bible that relate to the life of Abraham. There are 11 chapters in the Bible that relate to the life of Jacob. Jacob's name was changed by God to Israel and his grandchildren from his son Isaac became the nation of Israel. We all know how important that is, and yet there are only 11 chapters in the Bible primarily devoted to the life 
of Jacob. Now, there are 10 chapters in the Bible devoted to Elijah and Elisha, the two major miracle-working ministries in the Old Testament. But did you know there are 66 chapters in the Bible that, re that relate directly to the life of David? And over 1,200 references is found in his name. In addition, 59 times David is mentioned in the New Testament. When you think of faith, you think of Abraham. When you think of patience, you think of Job. When you think of the law, you think of Moses. And when you think of miracles, you think of Elisha and Elijah. But when you think of the power of praise, when you think of an intimate relationship with God, you think of God's song and dance man, David. The most prominent Old Testament character mentioned over 1,200 times is a man of worship. There must be a reason why the Holy Spirit kept inspiring the writers of Scripture to keep referencing David. There must be a reason because God never does a procacious miracle. God never just does something to do it. There must be a reason why God kept telling those, the writers of Scripture to talk about David. I believe it's because he loved the presence of the Lord. He loved God's presence. Now, there are two major events in David's life that stand out to me that show us how much he loved the presence of the Lord. First, we see him at a high point in his life. This high point is a major pivotal point in David's life. The Bible tells us in 2 Samuel 6, verse 2 and 5, that David brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000 of them. He brings them to go and get the Ark of the Covenant. He's cartwheeling and he's dancing before the Lord with all of his might. And he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel and back to Jerusalem. The Ark was a symbol of God's presence with Israel. In the Ark are three things. Aaron's rod, which represents God's leadership. The Ten Commandments, which represent God's law. And the manna, which represents God's provision. God's law, God's leadership, and God's provision are housed in a gold box representing the power of God. And the Bible tells us that the Philistines, they stole the Ark of the Covenant. Well, David hears it's coming back. And he's dancing with all his might. And he's celebrating before the presence of the Lord. And the reason he is celebrating is the Ark of the Covenant during the reign of Saul had not held the prominence or the importance it should have held in the nation of Israel. In David's eyes, this was a great grievance to Israel as much as the insults of the Philistine giant Goliath. Now the Philistines, they stole the Ark of God for one reason. They thought that if they steal the Ark of the Covenant, that they will be invincible in war, that no one will stop them. But they fail to understand that there's a price to pay to bring God's presence. There's a price to pay to bring God's glory. And so they stole the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says when they steal the Ark of the Covenant, they take it to the nation or the city of Gad, and the hand of God was heavy against the Philistines. In fact, the Bible said God struck them with tumors. That's what the Living Bible says. One translation says emeralds. That's what the NIV says. <laughs> but the, uh, there's another translation that says God struck them with hemorrhoids. <laughs> Read it. It's there. 
I want you to imagine a whole nation of people that can't sit down. <laughs> God has a sense of humor. And they were soon to find out that God always gets you in the end. <laughs> Some of you will catch that later. So they're in total pain and anguish. They can't sit down, and there's no preparation age for them in 2,000 years. So they say, get rid of it. And they put it on a cart, and they sent it back to Israel. David hears that it's coming. And 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 5 says, he gathers together 30,000 of Israel's finest fighting men. David brought together all the able young men of Israel. The actual Greek is all of the ones who were of fighting age. Now, they become of fighting age, 13 to 30. 13 to 30, you are fighting age, and David takes 30,000 of them, and he's celebrating with all of his might. Listen now. Here is a pastor. Here is a king. Here is a politician. Here is a father. Here is a son. Here is a leader that realizes there's nothing more important than the presence of God. Here is a leader who has to deal with all the things of running a nation, all the things of running a kingdom, and yet he realizes there's nothing more important than God's law, God's leadership, and God's provision. So he takes 30,000 fighting men to bring it back. This is a high point in David's life. Well, then we see him in 1 Samuel 30 on another occasion on the saddest day of his life. When the Amalekites raided the Negev and the Ziklag, it's David's hometown. And they come and they attack the Ziklag and they burn it and they take captive the women and the children and everyone else in it, both young and old. And on this day, David lost everything that is dear to him. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his home. He lost his business. He loses everything in his life. And 1 Samuel 30 tells us in verse 4, So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever gone through a situation so deep that even after the tears are shed, there's a hollowness in your heart? That you can't even articulate the storm that you've gone through. You, 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 the words can't even come to your mind, the hurt. What I find also interesting, in verse 6 says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Now that is an amazing text simply because these men loved David. They were willing to give their life. I could preach a whole series of messages on David's mighty men. They were the finest fighting force in the history of the world at that time. They were the Green Beret. They, they were the Navy SEALs. And in fact, in one scripture, it tells us as they are battling, as David is older in his life, they have a sword in one hand and they're fighting the enemy and they got their other hand on their king's shoulder. And they're steadying him. And yet they're killing these Amalekites and these Philistines. Shema kills 300 by himself and the Bible said his hand claved to the sword. Unbelievable men. But now because... They are so damaged in bitterness of soul, they're thinking, let's kill David. Have you ever been in a situation where your support structure is no longer there? And you feel all alone. 
Maybe you've got family that's not living in the state of Illinois, and you're all alone. Possibly you're the only Christian on your job, and every week you feel all alone. What do you do when the battle is raging and you are all alone? The Bible says David encouraged himself in the Lord. What's amazing is on both occasions, in the happiest day of his life, and on the saddest day of his life, his first reaction was exactly the same. His basic instinct was exactly the same. He worshipped. He turned both situations into a time of praise and worship. In the highs and in the lows, he wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. What is your reaction in life? Friends, all the commentaries I have read said that the nation of Israel grew and prospered more under King David than any other king in the nation or the history of Israel. And it was because he was a man of worship. His main emphasis in life was to worship and to be in the presence of God. Can you imagine what would happen in Church on the Rock if the church would take David's example and we would make it a part of who we are? That if we would worship God in every experience of our life, in the good times and in the bad times, in sickness and in health, in the highs and in the lows, that we would lift up our voice and lift up our hands and say, Father, just like Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall go, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Do you realize what would happen in this building? If we would take David's example serious and say, Lord, flow through me because your presence sets people free. God is able to expand and grow and prosper our lives as well as this church here on earth like never before. Listen, friend, evangelism comes out of worship. Here's what many people don't understand. I was standing in the back and I was watching you worship and, and the leading of the worship was so awesome tonight. And you all were just worshiping God. And yet there are some that don't understand it. They wonder why we worship the way we worship. Why we sing the way we sing. Why do some get emotional and cry? Oh, I was watching you and you were wiping the tears from your eyes. They wonder why some jump a little and get excited and raise their hands. Well, the answer is simple. Jesus has set us free. He has set us free. And because of that freedom, we must be a church that is unashamed and uninhibited to give boisterous, amazing, and sometimes even loud, shouting praise. It's a pillar of the church. Worship brings evangelism. People get saved when the church starts to worship. When you start to sing and worship God, people are healed in the presence of God. Things begin to happen when the church raises up praise. You can't grumble and be negative when your mouth is full of praise. You can't stay angry at your wife when your mouth is full of praise. You can't stay angry at your husband when your mouth is full of praise. You can't speak a negative thought towards anyone when your mouth is full of praise. Listen, in 33 years of ministry, I've never seen a praiser defeated. I've never seen a praiser defeated. In John 4, 3 and 42, Jesus said, I must go to Samaria. 
the word must makes it clear that there's a divine appointment. If you were here last night, you heard me say, you have an anointing that abides. I believe those of us that are walking with God were saved. We have a reservoir of the power of God dwelling in us. You should be looking for divine encounters on a daily basis with people outside the walls of this church. And Jesus says, I must go to Samaria. And when he gets there, he sits down by a well. And he told his disciples, guys, you go off and get a box lunch and hurry back. I've got an appointment. And he's sitting there, kicking back, and he's waiting. He's waiting by the well. It's 12 o'clock, high noon, the hottest time of the day. And everybody knows no one comes to the well at high noon, but Jesus knew she was coming. And he's waiting. He's waiting for a woman of ill repute to come and draw water from the well. And the reason she's coming at 12 o'clock is she doesn't want to have to deal with all the other chickens around. She doesn't want to deal with all the other women who are talking in the morning. They say they're talking out of love, but they really just want to know the gossip. And so she comes at high noon when she thinks no one will be there. And we believe that she's possibly a prostitute. We really don't know if she was or not. But we do know she had five husbands and was living with number six out of wedlock. We know this because Jesus is talking to her. And he says, woman, where is your husband? She says, well, you know, I don't have one. He said, that's right. You've had five. And this one's not your man either. By this she knows he's a prophet. And they begin to have an amazing conversation. And you know what it's sur surrounded by? It's a conversation about worship. Because she proceeds to ask what is probably the most pressing theological question for first century Samaritans. And she looks right at Jesus and she says, where is the proper place of worship? You see, the Samaritans were descended from the Israelite people who had not been deported when the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdoms of Israel, and they had allowed other nations to come in and live with them, and they allowed them to bring their worship, they allowed them to bring their pagan gods, and so many of the Samaritans were living a watered-down gospel. Like many people in church, they had a watered-down relationship. But there was a segment of Samaritans that wanted the real thing. Can I ask you a question? By an upraised hand, how many say, Pastor, I want the real thing? I just don't want emotionalism. I just don't want hype. I want the real thing. If you want the real thing, someone just, just give me a little amen. amen. Because amen means so be it. So she says, where is the proper place of worship? Where is the real thing? We've been waiting for the Messiah. And some are living this way, is what she's saying. And some are living that way. But there's a segment of us that want the real thing. Jesus answers her by saying in John 4, 23, Your fathers worshiped on this mountain, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Now listen to the prophetic word Jesus gives her. For the Father will seek out those who worship him. You say, well, how is that prophetic? Well, often we say, I'm seeking God. 
But when you worship and you begin to praise him, the scripture says, God comes to seek you out. He comes to seek you out. I, I don't know if you caught what I just said, but the lily of the valley and the bright and morning star, the sea walker and the blind healer, the fairest of 10,000, he comes to seek you out. Is there anybody here that wants God Almighty, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Sitkanu? These are the names of Almighty God. Is there anybody here that wants him to come and seek you out? And he will seek you wherever you worship him, no matter where you are. He will seek you in the car as you're going down the highway and driving into Chicago to go to work. And the moment you put in that music and you begin to fill the atmosphere of your car with praise, your room right there, the, the, the car becomes the presence of God. He comes and seeks you out. Maybe you're walking across the parking lot and you're going to the hospital to find out if you've got the COVID and you've got all the symptoms and fear is banging at your heart's door. The moment you begin to worship the master, the moment you begin to say, Lord, I need you, he comes to seek you out. Maybe you're a single mom trying to raise your children all by yourself and you're sitting in the car in line getting ready to drop them off at the elementary school and you are a nervous wreck because of all the things in life that's turning topsy-turvy. Listen to me, mom. The very moment you begin to worship him, he begins to seek you out. He begins to come and look for you. And he says, daughter, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. He comes knocking on your heart's door. Maybe, maybe maybe you're looking for that loved one to be saved and your heart is broken and you don't know how to deal with the things of today he says the moment the very moment that you begin to lift your voice and lift your hands I will come and seek you out whether it's a hospital bed or an office building or whether it's an educational wing at the university whether, wherever it is when you worship God he seeks you out in the same way he did for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The fourth man in the fire begins to show up. And you, oh, come on now. Somebody needs to praise him. I, and I'm preaching better than you're shouting. He comes to seek you out. Listen to this biblical truth. We can seek God's presence by fasting and prayer. However, when you worship God, he comes to seek you out. My presence will find you. And the Samaritan woman caught on spiritual fire when Jesus had the conversation with her about worship. She ran back to all of her hurting friends. And she says, come and hear this man. He told me everything about my life. Could he be the Messiah? And she brings everybody with her Based on a conversation of worship, the disciples returned with food, scratching their head. They went out and got Popeye's chicken, and they're coming in, and they're saying, why is he talking to this woman? And they don't catch it. You see, a lot of the church thinks that we need to stay in the four walls of the church. But the Bible says we're to take it to the highways in the Bible. 
Did you know she becomes the first evangelist in the Gospel of John? A Samaritan woman becomes the first evangelist in the Gospel of John? Listen, a whole city can be saved when God finds a church that will worship him in everything that they do. The spirit of worship creates the spirit of evangelism. And David wrote worship songs in the book of Psalms. And it's interesting that Jesus quoted more from the book of Psalms than any other Old Testament book. More than Isaiah, more than Ezekiel, more than the writings of Moses. He quotes more from David, and all he's quoting is worship songs and love songs. The book of Psalms is a collection of 150 worship songs and worship poems written to God. David penned half of them, and the rest were written by temple worship leaders like the sons of Asaph and the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon. And did you know Jesus quotes the Psalms on 11 different occasions? Jesus, the greatest Old Testament scholar of all time, uses the book of Psalms as worship as one of the greatest tools in his preaching arsenal. And it's to fulfill his missional purpose. Because in his own words, Jesus said, my mission and my purpose is to seek and save those that were lost. He knew if I can get people to worship and then live it out on a daily basis, Monday through Saturday matters. How you live your life Monday through Saturday matters. I want you to say that softly to yourself. Monday through Saturday matters. How I live my life Monday through Saturday matters. Worship will bring evangelism. In Acts 15 and 16, there's a prophecy that I want you to see. It says, after these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. So the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Now, when it says all the Gentiles who are called by my name, it's referring to all the nations or all the people, you and I, who are not Jewish. And the tabernacle of David had to do with the fact that David brought the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, I told you three things. Aaron's rod, God's leadership. The Ten Commandments, God's law. The manna, God's provision. And David brought the Ark of the Covenant, and he sets it on Mount Zion. He placed it under a tent, and then he rolled up the tent tabernacle. Because up to that point, the people have been banned from being in the presence of God. Can you imagine a nation trying to ban people from the presence of God? <laughs> Can you imagine a government telling people they can't sing in church? Some of you are slow, but you're worth waiting for. And the Ark of the Covenant was God's seat on earth. It's interesting that God wanted a seat on earth. And it was called the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was the, on top of the Ark of the Covenant. Oh, I'm taking you a little deeper now. Just The mercy seat was on the Ark of the Covenant. Psalm 22.3 says, God is enthroned and inhabits the praises of his people. While speaking in a conference, a little missionary came over to me. She was from Japan. And she said, oh, pastor, so good to see you again. Oh, so good. She's so cute. Oh, so good to see you. She said, what is your favorite scripture? And I said, well, mine is, my favorite is Psalm 22.3. God is enthroned and inhabits the praises of his people. 
It's just, oh, my too. I love that one. I love that one. She said, do you know what that means in Japanese? I said, no, I don't. She says, well, in Japanese, it reads this way. Whenever people worship, God brings a big chair and sits down. Oh, come on. Whenever people worship, God brings a big comfy chair and sits down. And I immediately got a, a, a mental picture of Jesus sitting in a lazy boy and kicking up his feet. In other words, God gets comfortable when a church begins to worship. Do you want to make Jesus comfortable in this place? Is there anybody that wants to make him comfortable in your marriage, make him comfortable in your home, make him comfortable with your children? Do you want him to bring his big chair? Is your prayer tonight, come on, Holy Spirit, bring your big lazy boy chair to church on the rock and throw back your feet, and we want to experience your presence because when you are there, there are miracles. When you are there, there is healing. When you are there, people are set free. If you want his big mercy seat in this church, somebody clap your hands and praise him. Yeah. Hallelujah. Do you know why you get answers to prayer? It's not because just you fast and pray. That's part of it. It's because of the mercy of God. Do you know why you get healed and get miracles and get blessed? Not because any works that any man should boast. It's the mercy of God. And God wants you to know the way you get my big mercy seat in the middle of your blessing and your prayers and your congregation is when you worship me, you create an atmosphere where I feel comfortable and I come and I sit down among you and I get my lazy boy out and I just enjoy my children as they gather around me. And when I come, I bring with them the power of the risen Savior. If you want it, somebody clap your hands and praise him for it. Hallelujah. In fact, right now, without any music playing, I'm going to take, we're going to take a little praise break right now. And, and I just want you to lift your hands and welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit to bring a comfy chair into this room. Tell him, you, Lord, you're welcome to bring your chair to my house. Lord, I want your presence in my house. I want to praise you and create an atmosphere, Lord, where you feel comfortable. Somebody tell him that you're welcome in my house. Come on, praise him right now. Lift up your voice and welcome the presence of the Lord into your life, into your situation. Wherever you are watching me live stream, right now, wherever you are watching me live stream, just lift up your voice and say, Lord, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. Give them a seat in your business. Give them a seat in your home. Give them a seat in your marriage. Somebody praise him in Church on the Rock right now. And the more you praise him, the bigger the chair gets. The more you praise him, the bigger the chair gets. Somebody, don't stop. Somebody praise him. Without any music, somebody praise him. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I need you, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. You're worthy, Lord. I was talking to Pastor Josh and his beautiful wife. I don't know how he got her, but she must have felt sorry for him. But she's awesome. And we were talking about 
how we can have a move of God and not be weird, weren't we, Pastor John? That the younger generation, Generation Z and, gen and Millenniums, they need to realize that it's possible to have a move of the Spirit of God and not be weird. And sometimes we as intercessors, we get weird. I call them the woo-woos. Something, and and they and I look at them. I tell them, "You're weird." The Holy Spirit's not weird. He's gentle as a dove. He's a gentleman. It's possible to have a move of God and love the presence of God and not be weird. The Bible teaches that we must be gentle as wise as serpents and gentle as doves. And there are people that will be coming here drawn by the anointing. And when they come in, do we want them to say you're weird? Or do we want them to say the presence of God is here? That there's the presence of God. There's a comfy chair. I feel the anointing of the presence of God in this room. David's actions showed he loved the presence of God. So he rolls up the tent tabernacle. Again, until that point, the Gentiles were kept out of God's presence. Ladies, listen to me. Women were in the court of the women. They were not allowed in the presence of God. I can't imagine my beautiful wife and my beautiful daughter not being allowed to experience the presence of a loving God. And yet up to this point, they were limited in the court of the women. Most average people could not get close to the Ark of the Covenant. One time a year, the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies and they would tie a rope around his ankles because if he had any sin or imperfection in his life, he would go before a holy God and he would drop dead and they'd drag him out. And David, he says, no, 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 no. I want all of the people to know the presence of the Lord. Pastor Josh told me that he wants all the people to know the presence of the Lord. Pastor Brian has tried, and he's told me the same thing. I want all the people to know the presence of the Lord. So David rolled up the sides of the tent of the tabernacle, and he brought in musicians. Mom and Dad, you listen to me. 274 surrounding the Ark of the Covenant in four different ships, 24 hours a day, 360 days a year. Then you say, well, wait a second. Did they take five days off? No, they have an ecclesiastical calendar. We have a lunar calendar. So 360 days of their ecclesiastical calendar, they worship God. And they didn't do it for one year. They didn't do it for two years. Based on scripture, they did it for 33 years. 33 years. They played musical instruments nonstop, entertaining the presence of God on Mount Zion, and the people could come and get into the presence of God. First Chronicles 16 and 37 says, So David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly or continually. I'm going to answer a question for you. For those of you that are wondering, why do we have to have those songs so long? I just came for the word. Oh, you shallow. Listen, here's why. Do you know why we need worship and praise continually? It's because Satan's opposition is continual. Revelation 12.10 says that Satan accuses us before God day and night. 
In the book of Job, Job chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7, it says, One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth in it. I believe he was there in God's throne room to accuse God's people before God. To accuse the church. So listen to me, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, there is a demon somewhere accessing and accusing you before the throne of God. And based on the book of Job, we know that the devil knows how to get into God's presence. If the devil is going to be there accusing, I believe we in Church on the Rock need to be here praising. We need to be praising. If the devil is persistent enough to accuse day and night, I would hate to think the devil is willing to go through more to get in the presence of God to accuse than we are willing to get into the presence of God and praise. Especially since everything he's accusing of, we are already forgiven of. We've been accepted. We've been chosen. We've been called of God. We're covered by the blood of Jesus. We are righteous through the blood of Jesus. And yet so many of us can't even seem to worship God at all. Or we can't get up and come to church and get in the presence of God because it's too hot. It's too cold. They didn't sing my song. Pastor didn't notice I had my new dress on from Walmart. Didn't even say anything to me in the lobby. They don't like me there. Oh, I don't want to go there. Nobody says anything to me. Listen, friend, if you are 55 and over, church is no longer about you. I'm going to say it because I'm leaving. <laughs> but if you are 55 and over, church is no longer about you. It's about your children and your grandchildren. It's about the generation that is sitting out there in that soccer field. It's no longer about you. Why? Because you're saved and you're on your way to heaven. My kids tell me, Dad, you're old. And I go, yeah, well, I know. They go, no, you don't understand, Dad. At 56, half of your life is gone. I go, shut up. That's not true. I got a, my whole life. And they look at me and go, oh, really? How many hundred-year-old people do you know? Wow. Life is about the next generation. And I've got to ask you a personal question. How many of you have children that were brought up in church but no longer want anything to do with church or with God? Come on, be honest. I'm raising my hand. We, can't let, we can let anything discourage us from worship. But did you know there was a man who lived in the tombs of the Gadarenes who was filled with 2,000 demons? And Mark 5 tells us when Jesus got out of the boat, the man who lived in the tombs, no longer, no one could bind him anymore. No one could hold him anymore. He's breaking the chains. He had supernatural demonic strength. He's breaking the chains. He's howling like a wild animal. And then he sees Jesus step out of the boat. And he begins to run and fall on his knees in front of Jesus. And the Bible tells us in the book of Mark, the fifth chapter, that he begins to worship and that tells me that nothing in the world is authorized to stop your worship. 
Not even 2,000 demons can stop your worship if you really want to worship. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No trial, no tax, no COVID, no cancer, no x-ray, no bill, no setback. If you really want to worship God, you can worship God. Listen to me. The only thing that stops you from worship is you. It's you. Rejoice and praise him. Because God wants to give you inside information. And we need to glorify the name of Jesus. While sitting in an airplane at the civilian airport in Columbia, South Carolina. In fact, I want our praise and worship team to come right now. I'm sitting in this airplane in Columbia, South Carolina. And I'm looking out the window. And the Air Force Base, right there, Shaw Air Force Base, home of the fighting 20th fighter wing. The F-16s and the F-17s. And they share the runway with the civilian airport in Columbia, South Carolina. And there's a huge billboard that's there on the side of the runway. And I got so tickled because I'm sitting in this plane on American Eagle, and I'm looking out the window, and here's what I read that the, the sign says. Excuse the noise, it's the sound of freedom. Excuse the noise, it's telling all the neighbors when those F-16s land, it's the sound of freedom. And something quickened in my spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, Randy, you tell the church that there should be the sound of freedom in the church. There should be the sound of joy in the church. There should be the sound of praise and worship. Oh, come on, praise him and adoration in the church. It's the sound of freedom for he who the Son has set free is free indeed. It's free indeed. Because the praise gets out ahead of you. You got a battle you're fighting? Praise the Lord. Learn how to worship Him. You're dealing with a difficult situation? Second Chronicles tells us, for the battle is not yours, the battle belongs to the Lord. Amen. And I can't tell you how many times I've got up in the middle of the night and walked through the house and just begun to pray for my kids. I said, Lord, you, you know where they are, Lord. You know what situation they are in, God. Father, that you would send the guardian angels to encamp around them. I can't tell you how many times I've laid in the bed and just, just worshipped in my spirit and worshipped in my mind because I was prompted by God to pray for the church and pray for the kids. And I might not be able to get to you again, but my prayers will be here. Now that we have fellowship together in the altars of grace, the Lord will bring you to my memory. I might be somewhere in another city, and the Lord will say, pray for Church on the Rock. Get up and pray. Walk around the hotel room and pray. He did that with Jehoshaphat. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out ahead of the armies. And they said, give thanks to the Lord for his loving mercy endures forever. And that's what we're going to do in the remaining moments that we have together. We're going to lift our hands and we're going to worship. We're going to worship in spite of a circumstance. Because some of you are in the middle of the trial of your faith. And the trial of your faith, see, God will give you a promise at the beginning, but he never shows you how you're going to get through it until you get to the end. 
and you look back over your life and you realize he's been with me all the time. But the promise has to be watered. How do you water the promise of God? By thanking him in advance and praising him in advance. And just worshiping the Lord. I don't know what you are facing, but I do know that no matter the circumstances, if you will praise the Lord, he will show up. He comes to seek you out. He, if you'll just worship him. So right now, I want you to lift your hands all over the room as a sign of surrender. And just say, Lord, I'm going to worship you in the good and in the bad, in sickness and in health. Lord, I'm going to praise you no matter what situations come my way. I'm thanking you, Lord, that my children shall be saved. I'm going to thank you, Lord, to speak blessing over my children, even though I don't see it with my mind, even though I don't see it with my eyes. I know the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he shall not depart from it. So, Lord, I'm going to water that with praise. I'm going to praise you, Lord, in the midst of every struggle, in the midst of every circumstance. Right now, prepare yourself for worship. Call your children by name. Call your sons and daughters by name. And begin to say, Lord, I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. I will not allow what I see to affect what I know. I want you to stand and offer up the worship and praise. Before he even comes and leads us in a single song, somebody say, Lord, would you bring your comfy chair and just sit down right here among us? Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase. I know I've taken you deep into the word, but allow that seed right now to settle in your heart. And just worship him. Worship him. Lord, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. I praise you.